Lord, thank you that we can come into your presence and know who you are tonight, God. See you at work. Hear about the incredible things that you're doing right across this world. Know how you've moved and stirred in our history, God, your people together in this place. And we are faith-filled, Lord, for a year that is full of you, full of expectation for who you are the way that you are making, Lord, within us, in this nation, right across the planet, God. We praise you and worship you tonight. Open our hearts to what you have to say to us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, band, for leading us in worship. Take a little break, but come back. We want you back. Welcome to 2020. If this is your first night back tonight, it is great to have you here. We are continuing in our series of summer psalms. People weren't quite sure what summer psalms were, but it's summer, and we're looking at the psalms, so summer psalms. But I wanted to start because I've been just so impacted, I guess, this week as I've watched the news and heard stories of people facing crisis in our nation as these fires continue to tear through um, this land. And I came across this story during the week. Maybe some of you have heard it. If you want to find it, you can Google it on Eternity um, and find the story. But an absolutely incredible story to share with you tonight. This is the account of David Jeffrey, who owns a B&B in Mallacoota, and what took place on New Year's Day just last week. He says that they were waiting on this wharf. This whole group of people had fled from the fire. And as this fire wall loomed, which Jeffrey says was reported to be 60 feet high, and moving at 90 kilometres an hour. Jeffrey and two older prayer warriors, along with many others around the nation, were praying. We could hear the roar, he says. It sounded like a thousand freight trains coming at us. Then a huge gust, like someone had opened the door of a furnace, pushed us. It went black as black. The smoke was so thick, it was hard to breathe. At this point, Jeffrey, along with many others, thought we were going to die. If the Lord doesn't answer this next prayer, we would have had 30 seconds. I prayed, Jeffrey says, Lord, if you don't push this fire back now, we need a wind from the east. And as soon as I said that, it started blowing from the east just a little bit. Then I got, then I got louder. I got louder and the wind got stronger. Then I got louder again and it got stronger again. I felt it change. I noticed that the bolder I got, the stronger the wind got. I was yelling, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for rescuing these souls. Push it back, Lord, rescue us. I did not care who heard me. I knew then that God was doing what I was asking. Because if he, if he didn't answer then, we were dead. Noting that no easterly was forecast, Jeffrey continues, what God did was push the fire back from the east, which was impossible, but he did it. 
Afterwards, as the smoke started to clear, the crowd at the wharf listened in horror as properties were consumed by fire and gas cylinders exploding. The firewall was getting closer and closer to my house, Jeffrey said. We were about to lose everything. Jeffrey says that he was far more concerned about his neighbours who had actually remained in the street to defend their homes. Then I heard God say to me, pray. I started off with a pathetic little prayer. Then within me, this faith rose up and said, who are you praying to? And I thought, yes, you're the God of the Bible. Nothing's impossible with you. This was so impossible. But somehow God turned off the flames like flicking off a switch. All the fuel was still there. The houses were still there. The grass was there. My neighbours, who are not Christians, were eyewitnesses, and they tell me God saved us. They thought they were going to be annihilated because the fireball was coming straight at them. The whole of the street got spared, and the bush around us got spared. Hot embers went into the dry, long grass, big bits of bark and trees. But where we were praying for, right there, all was spared. That is literally Bible stuff, Jeffrey says. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who was spared from the fiery furnace in the Bible book of Daniel. We are in awe of what God is doing. How incredible is that story? How faith-stirring is that story as we witness the heartache that these fires are causing the destruction that it leaves behind, to hear a story of praise and a story of faith, a revelation of God in the midst of the fire. I was so filled with hope when I read this account. And it helps me to remember who God actually is. It helps us to recall who God has revealed himself to be. And tonight, God has laid on my heart this psalm to share with you. And it is a call for us to remember and know in a fresh way tonight who God is. I would love you to read along the screen with me. Hopefully, our DP person found my PowerPoint. Oh, praise God, because apparently I put it in the wrong folder. 2020, not 2019. Here it is. Thank you, team. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Beautiful words. So many familiar words there maybe to you if you've been around the Bible for a while. I kind of chose this psalm because I've always liked this psalm. And I thought, you know, summer psalm series as we head back into the year, I'd kind of choose something nice and light to share with you tonight. And then as I started digging into it and reading the commentaries, just about every single person said that this particular passage of Scripture is one of the most densely theological packed passages in the whole Bible. The entire gospel and the message of the Bible captured here in 22 verses. And we just have 30 minutes to kind of unpack that together. I thought maybe I'd bitten off more than I could chew. But I really felt like this was God's word tonight for us. The writer of the psalm doesn't give us any reason or context for writing it. It is thought that it was most commonly sung by God's people in exile. You know, when we were just singing that song, even when I can't see you, you're working. Even when I can't feel you, you're working. This song was sung by a people who didn't know where God was in their circumstances. And the writer calls them to praise. Praise anyway. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. The word for praise here actually means to kneel, to bow in adoration before God. The writer is calling worshippers to come before God and recognise the one whose presence they are in. You know, coming to praise and worship God can easily become a habit, can easily become a bit mundane. What were you expecting as you came to church tonight? You know, I love meeting people who come to church for the very first time. I love saying, what was it like for you? Because I've been coming to this church for 25 years. I forget what it's like to engage in worship for the first time. 
And I love it when they just go, wow, that was amazing. I actually met a girl who was a friend of a cousin at a family do yesterday who said, oh, I know that church when I said I came here as a pastor. And she goes, my sister went there once and she really liked it. Like that was surprisingly amazing. She goes, that's the church with singing, right? And I went, oh yeah, definitely, that's our church. And she went, yeah, she said it was really good. And I said, it is, you should come to get that first hand experience. Maybe you are here for the first time tonight. Please come up and tell me what it's like for you to experience worshipping with God's people for the very first time. Maybe you've been coming every week for the last five years or 10 years or 25 years and you don't think about coming to church being as that special anymore. Maybe it's a bit ho-hum to come to church on a Sunday night. Maybe we easily forget that we come as God's people to meet together in the presence of an amazing, holy God who loves it when his people come and meet him like this. Praise and worship was not just meant to happen from our lips. The writer here is calling our soul to attention. The inmost being of everyone gathered to turn on, tune in, awaken and engage in praise in the presence of our holy God. What comes to your mind when you think about the holiness of God? I feel like our culture has drifted away from anything that is held as special or set apart or revered. Did anyone here grow up in a house where when the guests came over for dinner, you had to get out the special dinnerware, the special dinner set, anyone? Like you'd be kind of get the task of setting the table and mum would go, no, no, we've got guests tonight. Use the special plates. Ooh, the special plates. And it was a big deal. And it wasn't just the ordinary old glasses that were washed up jam bottles or whatever that came out. The special glasses came out when the guests came over. And washing up took on a whole new challenge as well. The plates were handled with extra care. The washing up was a more reverent and serious affair when the good plates and the good glasses were out. I don't know if we do that anymore. Certainly doesn't happen in my house. If you come over, you just get what we have every day. Do you know people used to dress up to go to church? Did you know that? And I think this was partly this idea that we went to this extra effort to prepare and make ourselves special to come and meet in the presence of a holy God. I'm not saying we should go back there. I really like wearing jeans to church. And we know that God isn't looking at our outward appearance. We know that God is concerned with what is going on in here. But it's this idea of his holiness that maybe we have somehow lost. The psalmist is calling our heart to reverence and awe. 
We come before one who is far from ordinary and our response is adoration, to kneel in wonder in the presence of greatness. The psalm begins with this call to acknowledge God's holiness and it crescendos in His greatness in those last verses. The Lord establishing His throne in heaven, His kingdom rule over all. The angels, hosts of angels actually, are at His command and bidding. Get a picture of the one whose presence we are in right now. This would be enough to spend a whole sermon on just thinking about God's graces, greatness, but I don't think this is actually the main point of the psalm. And I think what the psalmist really wants us to grab a hold of is actually in verse 9. The Lord is compassionate, another word for merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. These words are repeated several times in Scripture and it was actually like a creed that God's people held on to. This is the character of God. This is who He is. This is what He does. This is how He acts consistently, time and time again, never changing. This is our God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. On the backdrop of His greatness, God's love is all the more incredible that He would show His character to us in this way. The Hebrew concept of this love is actually beyond words in our English language. We don't actually have words that can convey the depth of what the psalmist is writing about here. How could words capture what God's perfect love is? How in our human understanding of love, which is so transactional and temporary, selfish even, how are we meant to wrap our minds around the perfect love of God? You know, the closest I could come to in trying to picture what that looks like was a father holding a newborn baby for the first time. If you've had that experience, you might know what I'm talking about. But to pick up that little life, to cradle it in your arms, to see how dependent and helpless that little one is, having done nothing to earn the favour of a father, but the father is filled with compassion and nurturing and protection and care, a commitment to love this little precious baby. Love is not, God's love is not just a feeling. God's love is not just words. It's not just a promise. It is action. It is present and God is working out his love for his people all the time. He is for them. He cannot walk away from them. He cannot fail in his love. 
His love includes discipline, even anger. His character cannot let sin go unchecked. Actually, in his love, sin has to be limited, has to be punished. And yet these are fleeting expressions of his character when it comes to his love. Much more do we see his heart of mercy and grace, kindness and blessing. Hear it again. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. You know, I'm sure the stories of the Old Testament have been preserved and handed down to us to give testimony to this character of God. When we share stories of what God is doing amongst us, when we read stories of God rescuing people in fires, we are reminded again that this is our God. This is who He is. He hasn't changed. The same God who preserved the lives of three young men in Babylon in a fire two and a half thousand years ago is the same God who still rescues people from fire in Victoria last week. Our memories need stirring, don't they? And even as the writer of this psalm is stirred by God's greatness and holiness, there's this inner stirring, this inner call, this inner remembering, knowing at the deepest level of who we are, who God is for us, what that love looks like for us in an intimate, personal way, not someone else's story not someone else's history, but who he is for us in that character of love. You know, if I asked you to think about what you are most thankful to God for tonight, just what comes to your mind? What are you most thankful to God for? What do you never want to forget to be thankful for? At the outset of this psalm, the writer comes up with a list. This is what springs to his heart. He says, I never want to forget the one who forgives all my sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Did any of those make it to your list? You know, in a very personal way, the psalmist is urging us to hear these things again. Maybe, maybe you know this, but tonight we're urged to hear it again, capture again, have our souls stirred again to know the blessings and benefits of God for each one of us who he has called to be his children. On bended knee and praise, the psalmist says, don't ever forget these things. Remember, remember first and foremost that God who loves you forgives all your sins. 
We started Immerse this week and watched again a moving film of Billy Graham, the great evangelist at the end of his life, urging another generation to embrace the message of the cross. It conveys the weight of sin and the penalty of sin in a way that we don't often stop and contemplate very often. We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to think of ourselves as sinners, do we? We don't even really like to use that word much anymore. And I get it. I struggle with that. I feel that. But is it as much about the word as it is about acknowledging and accepting that I am not good? Nothing that I can ever do or achieve will make me good. I was born a sinner and I live with a sinful nature. And every day I live in a broken world full of sin. The truth is we try to cover this up. We try to make it make it out not to be a big deal. We convince ourselves that we're not really that bad. I can't tell you the number of people who think that they'll be able to stand before God and it'll be okay because they've been a pretty good person. I've spoken to those people. What of our good could stand before a holy God? Somehow, somewhere along the line, we've watered down our view of sin. We've told ourselves that it's actually okay because everyone else is doing it. Psychology in the 90s told us that we just have to get to a place where we can say, I'm okay and you're okay and everything will be okay. But we are not okay. Sin is a sickness and disease that our souls carry. The soul, our souls carry the burden and the guilt of it. It is soul destroying. Your soul was not designed to carry sin. It was designed for life and freedom in relationship with God. But the holiness of God cannot exist with sin. God can't take out his eraser or his Norwex cloth, or his checkbook, and say, there you go, no worries. We'll just fix that up. Take that away. We'll, we'll just pretend that never happened. God can't do that. Sin comes with a huge cost. And God in Jesus enacted this incredible plan to free us from sin so that we could be forgiven the penalty of our sin which was ours to carry Jesus took upon himself hear those words maybe you've heard them a thousand times before the death the cost of that sin that we we were meant to carry Jesus took on for us and in exchange gave us life and freedom 
new life in him. We are forgiven. Our soul is set free from guilt and shame in that moment we receive this incredible gift of forgiveness. He forgives all our sins. It is complete and it is ongoing. God is a compassionate father, the psalm says. He understands our failings. He's not our judge expecting us to be perfect and get it right all the time. He knows we are frail and finite. He knows despite all our efforts, we can't save ourselves. We need a saviour. And we need the forgiveness that our saviour offers to us. He does not accuse us or, or repay us as our sins deserve. As far as the East is from the West. Think about that. That is how far our sins have been removed from us. When God looks at us, he doesn't see sin. He sees children clothed in his righteousness because of what Jesus has done. His healing work is part of that forgiveness, part of dealing with that sin problem that we have. Healing takes place on so many levels. In a spiritual sense, healing restores us in relationship with our Father. It lifts that burden of guilt and shame. We continue to grow in the love of God and know healing in our relationships, physical healing in our life. Jesus made this possible at the cross. Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds, by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. We are redeemed by the love of God. We don't use that term very often, do we? Redeemed from the pit, the summer says. But it is actually an incredible picture of God's mercy. In the Old Testament, there was this provision in the law that if you got in trouble, a family member could actually step into the crisis and rescue you, come to your rescue. For example, if a person fell into debt and was forced to be sold into slavery, then one of his relatives called a kinsman redeemer, could come in and redeem this family member by paying off their debts and purchasing their freedom. You think about this. If you've ever had a debt and there was no way you could repay it and the situation was so dire that it would actually cost you your life, Imagine what it would feel like to have someone step in and say, I'm going to take care of this for you. I'm going to pay your debt and set you free. Give you back your life. That is what Jesus has done for us as our Redeemer. He's our kinsman Redeemer. This is the love of God for us. Hear it again. Soak in it again tonight. But you know, that's not where God's love ends. And I feel like forgiveness and healing and redemption kind of gets us back to the starting point with God. 
snatches us out of sin, gets us back to kind of first place. But God's grace takes us way beyond that. And the psalmist says here, he didn't save us just from sin so that we could scrape into his kingdom. He actually crowns us with love and compassion. We are crowned as his children. The one who has set up his throne in the heavens is our father. We are called children of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, Romans 8 says. We reign with him in the heavenly realms. It is like God reaches into his very own character and transfers it onto us as a crown. We wear that as a crown. Do you see yourself crowned in God's love tonight? That is how God sees you. And he's still not finished with bestowing his his grace upon us. The psalmist says here, he satisfies our desires with good things. The word for satisfy is to be totally full. Like you've been to the best buffet you could ever go to and you've eaten beyond full. That feeling, some of you are still remembering that from Christmas. The grace of God is a feast for our soul. It's the only thing that will truly satisfy the innermost part of who we are. I think of that picture in Psalm 23 that Travis shared a couple of weeks ago. We're invited to this table to experience God's blessing in front of our enemies. He sets it up for us and invites us to it, to partake of it, to eat. Spurgeon was a preacher in the late 1800s and I came across this quote. He says, no one is ever filled to satisfaction but a believer and only God himself can satisfy even him. Many a worldling is satiated, but not one is satisfied. God satisfies our very soul. Soul satisfaction loudly calls for soul praise. These truths never grow old. We are renewed in our youthfulness as we grab hold of them again. Get excited and filled with joy to remember who God is, His great love for us, what He has saved us from and called us to. There is a guy who comes to my prayer group on a Tuesday and his wife says he's in his 90s. I would never believe it. And when I see that man pray, Every time you mention Jesus, he's moved and stirred in his spirit. His passion and faith are amazing. It's like he's just not growing old. Don't we want that? The love of God keeps us young, keeps us fresh, keeps us excited and full of joy when we live in this life, this new life that he has given and poured out upon us. 
even knowing that every single one of our days on this earth are finite. This psalm reminds us of just how fast life flashes by. And then the vast contrast between our life and the everlasting love of God. Who are we? Who are we? That God should link our frailty into his eternity and pour out upon us his everlasting love. Whenever we recall the acts of God, whenever we remember who he is and what he's done for us, praise bubbles up, praise spills out. We are meant to share these stories, church. We are meant to encourage each other and remind each other and speak about them over and over again so we remember them to each other so that God is magnified, God is glorified. Knowing this love requires a response of worship tonight, church, or an adoration for our incredible God. Is there anyone here who would want to live outside of that love? If you have never, ever received it, come tonight. Accept it. Say yes to the Saviour. Kneel before him and know his mercy and grace. If you need to know his love in a fresh way tonight, Bow before him in worship. Receive it. Ask him to show you again who he is and what he's done for you. Our response is gratitude. Our response is to live the life he has called us to. Our response is to share this love with others who don't yet know it. Our response is a declaration of praise to his goodness and grace. Bear with me, church. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it that speaks to our souls tonight, God. May we be a people who embark on this year just knowing you in a fresh way, God. Knowing your character, knowing who you are, knowing your love knowing that you've saved us and redeemed us. You're healing us, God. You've crowned us in love and compassion. You're renewing us even here tonight, God. We thank you and we praise you. And may your praise be on our lips and in our hearts and souls, God, as we head out of this place and share how wonderful and great you are with those around us. We bless you and praise you and worship you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and worship together in response to that psalm. And just because the psalmist talked about praise being an act of kneeling, that word, an act of adoration, there's a moment just in the song while everyone around you is worshipping that you want to kneel or sit or just thank God again in your heart. Ask Him 
to show you who He is. I'd encourage you just to do that. Take those opportunities to respond to God as we worship Him together. Praise God. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your goodness, Your love, Your mercy, Your grace that's never-ending, continues to be poured out, great God. And yes, we've fallen short of the glory of You, great God, but it's Your mercy and Your grace uh, that You forgive us. It's extraordinary, Father. And this is what we've talked about tonight, the, the goodness of You. And, uh, and so, Father, we just thank You so much. Um, we truly are a blessed people, great God. We really are a blessed people. We love You so much and we thank You. And we just pray these things in Your Name. Amen, amen. If you do want to find out more tonight about what Jody was sharing, about um, you know what it means to have a relationship with God, we'd love you. Uh, we've got some Bible packs uh, that we'd love to give you uh, for free, or you can come and talk to us afterwards as well. Um, but it's been so good to have you here tonight, and uh, we'd love to see you next week. Feel free to come back uh, and hang around afterwards and chat as well. But God bless you. Have an impact wherever you are this week. Have an awesome week. Have an impact, and we'll see you soon. God bless.